Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Good morning. So, every once in a while, you have a Sunday morning where everything goes wrong. (laughs) So, that was my morning this morning. Um, So, pray for me. Pray for me that the Lord would be working in this moment and overcoming in my heart anything that's happened before that I might be faithful to serve the Lord in this moment. John chapter 3. Let's come before the Lord together and, and pray and ask for His help. Father, we thank You for the opportunity and the privilege to gather and to worship and to sing Your praise. We thank You that You, in Your great love for us, gave us Your Son, Jesus. Lord, You gave us Jesus, who is above all, who is radiant and splendid. He is Your Son. He is fully God and fully man. And Lord, You sent Him into the world to rescue sinners who were rebelling against You. And if we are believers in the room, all we like sheep at one point had turned astray. Every one of us to our own way. But you laid on the Lord the iniquity of us all. The good shepherd who comes to rescue his sheep. Father, I pray that you would minister to us right now in this moment. Lord, that you would come upon each of our hearts Lord, we're bringing different burdens into this room this morning, and we ask for the agency and the operation of the Holy Spirit to come and tend to our hearts and tend to our minds and fix and rivet us to the Word of God. For it is Your Word that we need. It's Your Word that we hunger for. And we live in a world where there are so many different voices, and we desperately need the voice of God to speak into our life. So I pray for your help now. I pray you would blow upon this time. I pray that you would help me to get out of the way and help us to see King Jesus above all today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I once heard a story about Muhammad Ali, and he was not known for his humility. Um, He was one of the greatest, arguably the greatest boxer of all time, and he found himself on airplane flights quite a bit, and there was this one time when a stewardess was walking by, they're getting ready to, to take off, and the stewardess comes to Muhammad Ali and says, sir, please buckle your seatbelt, and he said, I'm the greatest of all time, I'm Superman, Superman don't need no seatbelt, and she looks at him, and says, sir, Superman doesn't need an airplane either. Buckle your seatbelt. And the reality was that, that Muhammad Ali, in his egotism, had thought he was larger than life. And in reality, he's a man just like you and I, who needs to buckle his seatbelt for the plane to take off. Who needs airplanes to get around. Who has a finite human body. And ultimately, 
we're headed into the Gospel of John to be reminded that there's one who is greater than all. There's, there's a real goat in the world and His name's Jesus Christ. There's a real greatest of all time. And John has been trying to help his disciples get back on track to, to get the reality that Jesus must increase and John's ministry must decrease. That Jesus must be made much of because He's worthy and He's superior to anything. Or anyone. And there's nobody like Him. So, even though John was a great preacher and a great prophet and a great man, and Jesus would say of John, that born of a woman, nobody's greater. John says, you know what? I'm nothing. I'm just a nobody talking about a somebody who can save everybody. I'm just somebody who wants to get out of the way and point to Jesus. I'm just want somebody who wants to step out of the way and show you the goat and point to the one who is the greatest and the one who can rescue us from our sins. And John's Gospel has been giving us an exalted picture of Jesus from the get-go. John 1.1 reminds us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, lest we get confused about the identity of this Word, Verse 14 of chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That this Word that is God, this Word that is the Son of God, full of grace and truth, took on flesh, entered planet earth as the God-man. As the one who came and who was born to die to rescue sinners. So John's message to us in his gospel is Jesus above all. If you're going to remember anything about this message, right? You, you, you may have come in here today and, and Jesus is not number one in your life. Jesus is not above all. Something else has taken his place or something else is what your world orbits around, but not Jesus. And the whole gospel is about telling us that Jesus is the greatest person in human history. He is the one who changed the face of history. He's the one who enters a sin cursed world. One that we're in touch with, right? One that has mass shootings. One that has wars going on. One that has terrorism. One that has sex trafficking. One that has pornography rampant. One that has marriages falling apart. One that has 
bitterness and rivalries and dissensions and Hatfield and McCoy stuff going on all over the place. And Jesus comes bringing a note of rescue that He can reverse the effects of the curse because He is above all. And so we come to this place where John is trying to tell his disciples, you know what? I was a flashlight. I was a lamp burning in the wilderness, pointing the way to Jesus. And now that he's come, I want to I introduce you to the supernova. I want to introduce you to the one who burns brighter than them all. And the one who can rescue sinners in need. So we're about to get into an argument, not an argument in the sense of two people fighting, but John is going to make a case about Jesus. He's going to make a case to us. He's going to make a case to his disciples, and he's going to remind them why Jesus is above all. Why should we believe Jesus should be put above all? And so we get great help and great encouragement as we look to the Scriptures. So turn with me to John chapter 3 and verse 31. He who comes from above all, or sorry, he who comes from above is Above all, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Now you get that main point, right? He, he bears witness to what we have seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And then we come to that summary statement. We come to that crux, that core Summarization of all of chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on Him. Now this is a glorious, glorious picture of Jesus above all. And John cares about his disciples because they've, they've been arguing and they've been seeing Jesus' ministry increase and John's ministry fizzle out and decrease. And, and, and it looks like the, the embers of John's ministry are going out. And Jesus is like wildfire. And John is trying to get his disciples to understand that is what I'm 
all about. It was never about making much of me, but always about making much of Christ. And he begins to tell us why Jesus is above all. He says Jesus is above all because He's come from heaven. Do you see that in verse 31? He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way because He, uh, he who comes from heaven is above all. So we're seeing right there a pivotal contrast. Like Jesus is the only one who actually came from heaven to speak as a witness for God. Jesus is the only one who has a heavenly origin. Jesus is the only one who comes from eternity past into our world to tell us what God has said. John is of the earth. John is finite. John is limited. John was born of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Jesus came from heaven, from the throne room of heaven to earth to declare a message. And so right off the bat, like there's something different going on about Jesus. Now, Jesus takes on flesh. He becomes a human being. He, he, he takes on flesh and he puts himself in complete and true humanity. He's clothed in humanity, fully human. He lived, he breathed, he slept, he hungered, he was tempted in the wilderness. And He obeyed the Father in everything in our stead. But He's not just a man. He's not just a man. If you think Jesus is just a man, you're not a Christian. You haven't experienced life. You haven't experienced the message and the hope of John and his Gospel. You haven't seen what it means to be something more than a prophet. Something more than a good man. Something more than an exquisite teacher. God in the flesh. And after all, is that not the message of Christmas as we approach Christmas? As the weeks progress leading up? What are we reminded? But the title of Jesus given by the angel speaking of the prophecy in Isaiah, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Why? God with us. That's who Jesus is. He's from above. He came from heaven. And there's nobody like him. He's the only one who can deal with your broken heart. He's the only one who can deal with your struggles in your marriage. He's the only one who can deal with your, your, your propensity to go after sin and addiction and lust and lying and, and all of the things that we run to to kind of self-protect or self-medicate or whatever it might be to kind of get through the difficulties of life. Jesus is the only one who has the aroma of heaven about his life. And when he comes into the world, he comes to bring life. Because he who comes from above is above all. In every respect, Jesus commands our worship, our adoration, 
our utter surrender. And perhaps you have come in here today and you are not surrendered to Jesus. You've been holding back bits of your heart. You've been playing at Christianity. But Christ is not yours. You have high thoughts about Jesus, but you've never bowed before Him. And John wants you today, like his disciples, to bow your life and put Jesus above all. Because He came from above. He's the only one who came from heaven to earth. Now, John's ministry was great. John's ministry was powerful. There were people flocking to the desert to get baptized and people feeling their, like the, the gravity, like, like I'm, my, there was sin and guilt and a weight on people. And John's ministry was like, people get ready, Jesus is coming. Listen, make straight the ways of the Lord. All the lying, the deception, the love of money, the love of lust, all the power grabs, all the stepping over people to try to get what you want, all the making of you the center of the universe, like all of that needs to be repented of because the King has come. And He's the only one who can deal with your broken heart. He's the only one who can deal with your offenses against God. He's the only one who can deal with the stranglehold of sin that's wrapped around your life like a vice grip and you're like, how do I get, how do I deal when my own heart is failing? Well, Christ is greater than your heart. And in fact, the Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked until we surrender them to Jesus and we get new hearts. That's what the gospel is. It's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Now, we see that Jesus is above all because he comes from heaven. But we also see that Jesus is above all because he bears a testimony that's greater than anybody else. You see it in verse 32. Verse 32 says, He bears witness to what He has seen and heard, and yet no one receives His testimony. Whoever receives His testimony sets His seal, sets his seal to this, that God is true. So what's being said there is that Jesus, right, all through this Gospel, we've seen John as the primary witness to start off this Gospel, right? You see it in chapter 1. If you flip over to chapter 1, it says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name is, was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. And the true light was coming into the world, or the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So John's whole purpose was to bear witness. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and the close of chapter 3 reminds us that Jesus' testimony, Jesus' witness, Jesus' speech, Jesus' declaration of what is true about who you are and who He is, 
and how to get connected with God, right? Like, He is bearing witness to what He has seen and heard. And He's been in the heavenly courtroom for, for all eternity until He steps into our world 2,000 years ago and changes everything. Then you could try to kill Him on a cross and it was His very purpose to go there. And God's very purpose to send Him so that He would make a payment for sins and that any who believe on Him could be saved. And you can't keep Him in the grave because He rises up out of it. Because He is the One from heaven. And only He can conquer death. So you, like, like you might be in here and you're like wrestling with mortality. You're wrestling with the fact that you're going to die. Maybe you're sick right now. Maybe you're struggling with paralyzing fears. Maybe you're feeling like, I, well, I ain't like all proud like Muhammad Ali. I'm kind of scared to get on a plane, let alone talk about being Superman. Matter of fact, I feel like I've got one foot in the grave. Listen, listen. Jesus is the only one who conquered the grave. Amen. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. John the Baptist, that great prophet, only a few months from speaking this words, these words, would be beheaded for confronting Herod about his adulterous affair at the whim of a dancing girl. But Jesus is alive. And you know what? John the Baptist is in the kingdom. That's what the difference is. When you point to Jesus and when your life is about Jesus and when you're about He must increase and I must decrease, well then you know the one who's the resurrection and the life. And though you die, yet shall you live. That's the promise of the Gospel. That's why this Jesus who bears witness to what he's seen and heard is so important. Yet, we're reminded that no one receives his testimony. Now, that's a generalized kind of statement because many did receive his testimony. But on a whole, John's Gospel reminds us that many hear the news. Many begin to follow Jesus, but not many take in this message. Not many reach up to Jesus with the empty hand of faith and say, I need you, Lord. And get this help and this rescue. But do you know what it looks like when we do? Do you know what it looks like when somebody's heart just... They begin to get fixed and riveted on King Jesus. They begin to see He's above all. They begin to see His heavenly identity. They begin to see His different nature, His different testimony. They begin to see the truth about Jesus. And you know what verse 33 says? Whoever receives His testimony sets His seal to this, that God is true. You know what's happening? In the ancient culture... When you set your seal on something, it was like to certify, right? The truth of that thing. So if it was a piece of mail, something like that, you would have a signet ring and, and set your seal in the wax. And that's how you know, like this is a legit mail. If the seal's been broken, it's been tampered with, right? So when you set your seal upon the truthfulness of God about what he's saying about Jesus in this gospel, 
When you receive the testimony, when you receive the words of Jesus, you start seeing what Jesus is all about. You start seeing how glorious he is. You start seeing he's above all. And you receive that. You're certifying that God is true and life comes into you. That's the promise of the gospel all over the place in this book. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But what? That's the promise. There's life in the son. Verse 36 is going to get all up in our face saying like, when you believe in the son, you get life now. And it will be consummated one day in eternity. To not believe in Jesus is to cut yourself off from everlasting life and be left to the wrath of God. So not only do you not certify that Jesus or that God is true in sending Jesus into the world to provide the rescue you need, but, but when, you, when you don't believe, you're left to the just wrath of God. More about that in a bit. But we see here that the importance of receiving what Jesus has to say in his words becomes very evident. So we've seen, right, that Jesus is above all because he came from heaven. Jesus is above all because his testimony is better and more superior than anybody who ever existed. And Jesus is above all because he speaks the very words of God. You see that in verse 34? For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. Do you, like, this blows me away. When Jesus comes to planet Earth and begins to speak, he speaks with an authority and with a power that no other man had. Right? Like all the old, uh, all the, the old rabbis, they would quote based on the authority and the words of previous rabbis. Be like, Rabbi so-and-so said this. Jesus said, I say unto you. Jesus spoke the words of God. Jesus would take the Old Testament Scriptures, say, I fulfilled this. Not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law. No T is going to get crossed. No I is going to get dotted. Right? Or not going to get dotted. But that He will fulfill it all. Every last bit down to the minute detail. That's who Jesus is. He's the Word of God. Why, why is He called the Word of God? Made flesh. Come into the world to save sinners. Like He's God's Word to you. Sometimes we, 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 we struggle with the, 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 the apparent distance of God, right? God's invisible. He's a spirit. We can't see him, but we can see his effects all over the place. And often uh, when I share the gospel, one of the chief objections that I'll get is like, like, okay, 
if, if God really exists, like, why doesn't he like, just like, why doesn't he just tell us or speak audibly or come like show up or something like that? I'm like, like, that's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is the son of God who came from heaven to earth to declare the message to the world that you can be saved from your sins, saved from your brokenness, that you can actually have that giant gulf that's between you and God that's separated by sin. And you can have somebody deal with that sin and make a bridge back to God so you can get in touch with your maker. Like that's who Jesus is. And so this Jesus above all thing is like, you got to see that what Jesus says is the very words of God. We don't worship a mere Jew, but God in the flesh. We don't worship a mere prophet, but God in the flesh. We don't worship a mere man, but God in the flesh. Now you remember... Colossians 1, we read it earlier. It says this about Jesus. I can think of very few pictures of Jesus that are so profound. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And the text actually says that he holds things together by the word of his power. That the words of Jesus, the word of Christ, the word of God, Holds the universe in existence. Holds your molecules in existence. Sustains your very life. And all, we all deep down know that. Because when something happens, what do we say? Why, God? We know Jesus is above all. We know Jesus has the words of God. There's a sense in which Jesus commanded a kind of authority that nobody else did. And that's why we'll see in the very next verse that what Jesus above all means is that his authority is above all. Do you see that in verse 35? The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. All things into his hand. John is reminding us of the fundamental truth that the buck stops with Jesus. That his authority is unmatched, unquestioned at the end of the day. Everyone will one day learn that. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And did he not remind his disciples when he gave the great commission, this very reality, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then what's he say to the church? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you 
to the end of the age. Jesus' authority brings the promise for the believer and for you if you're in Christ. He's with you to the end of the age. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you in your suffering. He's not going to leave you in your pain. He's not going to leave you in your hour of need. He's with you and He has authority like nobody else. When Jesus would encounter people filled with demons in the Gospels, the men would run up, fall on their faces, and cry out. And the demons inside of them. What have you to do to, with us, Son of the living God? Have you come to torment us before our time? He would cast that demon out. Because He has authority even over the demons. And they tremble because they know who He is. Jesus has authority over nature like nobody else. That's why when, when the, the, the disciples were in a boat and a storm on the Sea of Galilee hit and the boat was threatening to break up, Jesus comes and He speaks a very word to the storm and it quiets. And they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? Who's like Jesus? Nobody. Jesus has authority over disease and illness. That's why lepers got cleansed. That's why people who were crippled would be touched by Jesus and start walking. That's why Peter's mother-in-law could lay ill with a fever and Jesus would rebuke it and it would be gone. Now in God's providence, He sees fit to do those things. But in the person of Jesus, there is not one area that He does not have authority over. So you may labor in sickness, you may labor in illness, you may feel oppressed by demons, and you need to know that you have a Savior who has authority in that realm, and He can meet you in that. And if He does not heal you of illness or heal you of sickness, He promises to be with you through it. And I'd rather be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else in the world without Him. Because that's who He is. He's the one who has authority over all things. And last, on this note of authority, He looked at the paralytic and He said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. He has authority to forgive sins. So maybe you come in here, you're broken. Maybe sin has caused an issue in your marriage, your relationships. Maybe it's caused an issue at school. Maybe it's causing an issue right now and there's, there's a rift going on. You're, you're, you're living in deception, in dishonesty. You're traveling in the dark. And Jesus is just like shining a light like, I, I want to set you free from that. I have authority to forgive sins. You come to me, you get help. You run from me and you're left to your sins and their consequences. Remember, the Jewish leaders got all bent out of shape that Jesus said to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> like only God can forgive sins. That's right. That's right. That's who he is. That's who he is. Oh, and so that you might know that I'm God, right? I say to the paralytic, take up your bed and rise that you might know that the son of God has power. 
to forgive sins. Whew. That'll change your world. That's who Jesus is. That's who He came to be. He's a Savior of sinners. He's the Lord of all. He's the King of kings. He's the rescue we all need. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. But we have a decision before us. You see that in verse 36? We got a decision. John does not just want to tell you this information about Jesus so you do nothing with it. John is calling you to make a decision about Jesus. John is calling you to make recommitments toward Jesus. John is calling you out of this sort of Christianity that says nice things about Jesus but doesn't surrender to Jesus and live for Him. John is calling us to put Jesus above all. Notice it in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on Him. There's only two ways to go with Jesus, right? You either receive Him or reject Him. You either trust Him or you disobey Him. You either run towards Him or you run away from Him. And there's only two consequences, right? You're either going to have life or death. Right? You're either going to receive condemnation for your sins or salvation from your sins. You're either going to travel in the darkness or walk in the light. I mean, there's freedom when you trust in Jesus because He sets you free. And if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. Now, John has been saying this all through his gospel. That he's calling us to make a decision about Jesus. To make a have a decisive moment where you're encountering the living God speaking to you, telling you, what are you going to do with my son? If he's so glorious and he's so great and he's above all. And yet sometimes we treat the Lord so cavalierly. Like discipleship is optional. Like surrender is like Christianity 2.0. Like it's the main deal, right? Like there is no trust, there is no living for Jesus if your life's not going to be surrendered to him. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, but I'm going to have to give stuff up. I'm going to have to like give up some things I really like. Listen to, to Jim Carrey, right, for a second, if I may. Speaking from a place of depression. And he said, I, you know, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of. And then find out that that is not the answer. You can have it all and have nothing. What did Jesus say? But if you gain the whole world, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? 
What does it matter? What are you willing to give in exchange for your soul? So we're being commended to believe on the Son. Believe on Jesus. Believe and experience life here today. Experience renewal. Experience healing. Experience the power of God to transform your life. Experience what happens when prodigals come home. And they find a, a God who's not, he's not ready to drop the boom on you, but when you get honest with God and you come to Him, He brings rescue. He brings help. He resists the proud-hearted person, but He gives grace to the humble. That's all over the New Testament. And John would have you put your faith in Jesus, not in any other man. John 6.40 says, For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And you know that death problem? And I will raise Him up on the last day. That's what Jesus can do. He defeats death. He swallows up death in victory. Every one of us is going to die because we sin. But Jesus can overcome that. Only Jesus. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now a minute or so before we close. We also need to notice in this passage the consequences and the gravity of rejecting Jesus and being cut off from life. There's a great warning in this passage. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but what? The wrath of God remains on him. And listen, let me, let me just share a bit with you about the wrath of God. We get very uncomfortable about it, as if God is some cosmic bully just bullying people with His wrath up there. You want a God who's wrathful, towards evil and wickedness because he wouldn't be good if he didn't hate evil. God takes evil seriously. God sees the evil going on in the Middle East. He sees terrorist organizations using people as human shields and maiming young children and, and doing all sorts of unspeakable wickedness and he is wrathful towards that. But the Bible also says His wrath is on sinners and their evil as well. It's only right that He takes your evil seriously too. His wrath is already on us apart from Christ. But the love of God motivated the sending of the Son to come into the world and to bear His judicial wrath on a cross. To pour it out. So much so that Jesus would say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that very moment, the wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead is God's vindication in who Jesus is. This is my Son and He can deal with your sin. And He paid it in full. And anybody who trusts in Him can be liberated. 
So what have you done with Jesus today? Do you hear him standing at the door knocking? Saying, if anybody opens the door, here's my voice. I will come in. If you open the door, he's going to come in. If you open the door with the eyes of faith, if you lay hold of Jesus, if you turn from the way that you've been living, if you're apart from Christ, or if you're a prodigal, or if you're under the, in the throes of some addiction, and nobody knows about it but you, Jesus can rescue. But you have to hear His voice speaking to you through the Word of God saying, if you believe, you get life. You get forgiveness. Oh, what a glorious thing it is to hear what the paralytic heard. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And you're forever in the family of God. That's a beautiful, beautiful reality. So in a minute, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to come up here. I'm going to ask you to just get totally honest with God. I'm going to ask you to to take that step of faith. The outward step of coming up here is a little weird. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to do this in front of all these people. But you know what? If you're real about Jesus, you'll do it. And if you know the rescue He provides, who cares what anybody else thinks? And, and, and guess what? If they're judging you, they need to get up here too. Amen? Oh, we need the rescue of Jesus. Oh, we need this above all. Jesus. Oh, isn't it time that we got real with God and said, Christ above all forever? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for John the Baptist's heart to rescue sinners. And I pray, Father, that you would move in this moment. Lord, there's some here who really have um, been struggling. They're trapped in sin. They feel discouraged. But they're finally getting a glimmer of hope today. I pray they would come and get help from Jesus. I pray that they would acknowledge their need. I pray, God, that you'd be moving on those who have been backsliding in sin, those who've been traveling in the dark, those who've been giving you lip service but denying you with their lives. I pray that they would turn to you and get help. And I pray for those who just, they just want to trust Jesus in the simplicity of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I pray you would be calling them now in this moment and ministering to our hearts where we need it most. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.